0: Welcome to the Front Porch Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ.
1: Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis.
0: I'm Margaret Michael.
1: Thanks for tuning in today, and today we're joined by Pastor Cameron Dunlap. Cameron, how are you doing today?
2: Doing well. Uh, my wife and I are three weeks into parenthood, so... A little sleep deprived. Other than that, things are going well.
0: Cameron, um, so you're brand new into parenthood. Tell us something. That, oh, yeah. Tell us something that you've learned in the last three weeks that you didn't know before.
2: The depth of sleep deprivation uh, is a totally new thing these days in our life, but um, it's been wonderful. I think just learning how to read the cues of uh, of my son Miles it's pretty amazing Uh, that's something I've helped my mom in the church nursery growing up all the time but until you have your own baby in your arms learning the cues of a baby it's something I've never picked up on it's kind of amazing Um, you know kind of what they need before before they even really know what they need or or whatever so it's (laughs) that's been kind of fun but also a little bit scary so uh, yeah
0: yeah I've I understand what you're saying, and it's amazing um, how quickly, though, that you learn the cues and are able to engage, and that little guy just um, soon will just be like, what was it like before? Uh, When he wasn't here, he just becomes so much a part of the family, and really happy for you all, and uh, just pray God's best on you all as you journey um, into parenthood.
1: Yeah, Cameron, congratulations. Thank you very much. Congratulations to you and your wife. And just uh start out today telling us, just to give us some background, tell us about where you're from and about how you grew up.
2: Sure. Well, right now I am the pastor at Roanoke First Church of the Nazarene in Roanoke, Virginia, and um, have been here, I guess, three and a half years. Prior to that, I grew up and spent most of my life in the state of Indiana. I was born into the Parsonage family, my Dad is a Nazarene elder and has pastored a number of different churches uh, throughout the Midwest and um, most recently in the Northeast. So I grew up in the Parsonage. I'm one of four kids. And so our life really revolved around the church, the activities going on at the church the children's programming and like I mentioned you know spending time in the nursery that kind of thing helping my mom uh, on Sunday night services for whatever reason the Sunday night nursery volunteer is always the one that flakes out um <laughs> go figure <laughs> but anyway yeah so so I spent most of my time we, we lived in a couple different towns in central and northeast Indiana uh where my dad pastored at, at those churches in Alexandria Indiana and Huntington Indiana and after graduating uh, as a a high school student from Huntington North High School. I went to all of that, Nazarene University. I think at that point in my life, I knew that God had some kind of calling for me, but I would say the depth of my reliance on God at that point in my life wasn't, not that I didn't love the Lord or I wasn't in a relationship with Him, but I just, I don't think I... I was ready to fully receive that just yet in my life, um, and I'm sure we'll get into this but through a, a different number of things that occurred in my life, just realized God's full call to ministry in my life, and moved on from graduation at all of that. got married a year after graduating to my wife, Elise, and we moved to Indianapolis area where I served initially at Shepherd Community Center and Church of the Nazarene in the inner city of Indianapolis kind of cut my teeth in urban ministry and uh, learned a lot there. It's a very non-traditional church, a lot of community outreach and community service programs and interestingly for a guy who grew up in rural Indiana that that call to urban ministry has consistent has uh, continued in my life. consistently been a part of my life to the point where after my time at Shepherd I served as a youth pastor also in a church in Indianapolis that was in a low-income community at Indianapolis First Church of the Nazarene and then was called from that church to Roanoke First Church of the Nazarene where I'm currently serving. And uh, we are, again, a church in a low-income community here. I wouldn't exactly call it inner city. I think that brings certain connotations to people's minds, but a very urban neighborhood uh, here in Roanoke where we do a lot of community service, a lot of uh outreach events um try to help the people around us uh, as best as we can so that's kind of been my story i don't know uh how or why god calls people the way that he does but like i said grew up in a small town small towns and ended up i've ended up serving god and uh the church in urban environments which i love it's always an adventure and there's always something interesting and sometimes something crazy going on so <laughs> uh it's been a blessing to serve and, and do all of these things so yeah.
0: Well, it sounds like you grew up in a church where um, I don't know the size of the church that you grew up in, but I'm guessing they weren't huge. But I'm guessing also that you received quite a bit of discipleship and mentorship. Um, mm-hmm. You obviously were hands-on in ministry, at least on Sunday nights, yeah. right? So you had uh, yeah. <laughs> you had a great place uh, where you know God formed you spiritual walk and maybe impacted you um, with spiritual knowledge, spiritual growth, but then he had that foundation uh, pretty firm for you, even going into your college years and taking that, um, the road that Jesus had you on at that point, just taking you then to where he was calling you. Um, He had called your dad to certain places, but he has certainly had a different um, demographic area that he has called you to, and I think he's prepared your heart beautifully for it. You said something when you were here at the church speaking at a teaching church, which is one of our district events as pastors, and you spoke maybe not too long before COVID hit. Uh, You made a Mm -hmm. comment about um, who are the oppressed in your community just let you know that that is still ringing in my ears. It challenged Mm me um, greatly. I would like to hear from you today. Like where did that begin to form in your life and in your mind? Is that something that's been all along something that's been on your heart or what does that look like?
2: Yeah, I you hit the, the nail on the head, um, so to speak, when talking about where I grew up and, and how I grew up. There was our, our church was our church was the largest church in a small town, and uh, we had a lot of different programs for discipleship and um, growth opportunities and pastor youth pastors, children's pastors, all that. But I think for me, the greatest area of discipleship was just my family, my parents. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that kind of, that vision to look out for, uh, I don't even like saying the least of these, because I think when we say the least of these, I know that's a scriptural term, so forgive me for saying this, but mm-hmm. if I say the least of these, then that's, in my mind, already placing myself above someone else. Certainly. They're lesser than me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think from a, from, anyway, all that to say that that as a child, think I was able to see that modeled for myself and my siblings by my parents and by the way that our church operated and the fact that we would see, uh, you know, I I have two older brothers and um, I'm the third brother and then I have a younger sister. My parents, you know, the old hand-me-down thing, right? So my brother would get the new clothes and they'd all work down the line until they got to me. But after I grabbed those clothes, all those clothes went to other families in the church who needed them, you know? We would have people in our house for Sunday afternoon meals, probably at least twice a month. It sounds so strange with COVID conversations happening these days. I miss miss that. But just modeled for myself and my siblings that if someone needs something, we just help them, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's no reason why we shouldn't. This person is not lesser than us perhaps their circumstances have put them in a challenging situation that I don't experience. And I think as I got older, that is really what solidified for me. I've been learning and over and over again, my wife is in the mental health field and, and she has, you know, she and I have been learning this together over the last few years. We got a dog. I, I read on a dog training website, they said there are no bad dogs, just mm-hmm. bad owners and bad trainers. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm working with people all the time, and especially people who maybe come from some challenging circumstances, I think the same thing is true of human beings, but there are not bad people. There are just people who came through bad situations that changed them. And perhaps that changed them for in a way that I would think is, uh, oh, that's, it might be easy, I should say, for us to think, oh, that person is, and give them a label. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that nobody wants to, be a drug addict nobody wants to uh, be homeless nobody wants to stand at the edge of the intersection and beg for change that's not fun you know these are just people creations of god you know one of the 99 who for whatever reason their life has not been as blessed or privileged or whatever, uh, I mean, man, my life has been easy, Margaret, you yeah. know, like, yeah. if I really look at it, I'm so deeply blessed to have the parents and the, the church and everything from day one. Uh, so I'm kind of rambling here, but you yeah. got me talk about something that I'm passionate about. So right. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And then it sounds like your family really did model that looking out, not just for themselves but those around them and the okay. oppressed in your community growing up probably looked a little different than it does when you move into an urban area but the concept sure. still the concept still is the same so tell me just something that a situation like obviously not names or anything but someone who um I, and i know when we even talked about the oppressed in our community we have kind of again there maybe are pictures, and it might be different for each one of us. It comes up in our mind's eye of what that looks like. Uh, But even with COVID, that has changed somewhat. Can you speak to that just for a moment of, even in your context where you are right now, um, what does it look like?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think oppressed, like when we hear the word oppressed, sometimes we think of a dictatorship and, you know, communism or something like that. Uh, where people are being oppressed. But I think that word oppressed, it means a lot of different things and we're talking about it in this context. So oppressed could mean a people group who is who are actively being put down by uh, another person group. So that oppression could look like racism. You know, um, oppression could look like a government that has something against a group of people. It could look like those things. But I think oppression also looks like people who are part of broken systems that just don't work for them anymore, or maybe never did. Uh, uh, In our context, we work with a lot of families. That's our whole thing at at Roanoke First is that we want to come alongside uh, a family and try to serve them in the best way possible. Something I learned in my time at Shepherd Community Center, uh, I had a, a boss who, my, my pastor, I guess, used to say, we as a church want to be want to be like a Volvo station wagon, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. where we aren't flashy, we're not fast, but we're, there's enough room for your whole family and for all your baggage, and we're going to help you get where you need to go. I love great. that. And so, yeah, at Roanoke First, that's what we want to be, so... We have a daycare um, at our church that really is kind of an in for us into relationship with families. Mm-hmm. And we get to know people, get to know their kids, get to know the parents as they you know, drop off and pick up. We do all kinds of events geared around the daycare. So typically in the past, you haven't been able to this year do the, um, COVID 19 restrictions, but has done a big Thanksgiving meal where we invite all the families to conquer streets, that kind of thing. So you, you get to know your families and then you add other ministry programs that kind of surround them or other opportunities to serve. Your, your question was, who are the oppressed in, in my community? Well, what I see a lot happen, the reason why we want to work with families is because, uh, these generational cycles of poverty or generational cycles of just hurt. Maybe maybe there's some abuse going on in a home or or whatever it may be. Um we'll just call it hurt because that could be poverty, it could be anything. Uh parents are raised at their children by uh their parents who maybe were poor or living in poverty or were hurtful and abusive and then they tend to raise their kids in the same way and so then that next generation grows up with the same uh, challenges that their parents did and so on and so forth and so pretty soon you have generations of poverty where people have been uh, they don't know anything else and their parents didn't know anything else and their grandparents didn't know anything else and so that's oppression you know uh it's not actively somebody out to get you But that's oppression. uh, Oppression could look like a lot of things. If you'll indulge me for just one second longer. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) We gave out Thanksgiving blessing bags that contained all of the fixings for a Thanksgiving meal yams and sweet potatoes and stuffing and uh, couldn't put a whole turkey in every bag, but we did frozen chickens in every bag. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we put together a bunch of these for our community and uh, had people just come and, and pick them up. And there was a, a young woman who came who really couldn't have been much older uh, than me, probably about my age, who walked up and she was, you know, she was strung out, clear that she had some mental health issues on top of addiction issues, and could barely speak to us, um, was just kind of mumbling under her breath the whole time that she was there. Just the kind of person who, You know, if your kids were running down the sidewalk, you'd be like, oh, you know, you might be nervous about them talking to somebody who's in that state. But she came up and needed help. And uh, I was uh, able to help her and pray with her and talk with her. Um, I don't know quite what all sunk in, but our natural instinct in that moment, like I said, if we were walking with our kids down a sidewalk, might be to say, hey, you know, stick close to me or whatever. Mm -hmm. But this woman is a victim of oppression. Uh, yes, she maybe made a choice a long time ago in her life that led her down this path, but today she's in such a state that a rescue mission won't take her in uh, because she's disruptive and violent. Um, and she can't find a job or study employment, she probably doesn't even have the resources to be able to file for disability on her own um, or to be able to file for employment on her own. She may not know how to do those things, but because of her mental state um, and because of her drug addiction, just is not able to get herself out of the circumstance in which she's in. So I, I think that's that's a system of oppression. Uh, the really beautiful thing is she walked up without shoes on, and it was probably 45, 50 degrees, which isn't you know, terrible, but it's definitely cold enough that if you didn't have shoes on, you'd be, you'd be cold. I was able to watch one of my church members take off her own shoes and give them to this woman, which was beautiful. It doesn't really <laughs> answer have much to do with your question, but it's just, you know, these are the kind of places where we want to find ourselves. Yeah. Um, and the kind of people who are, you know, maybe for whatever reason are struggling and suffering and, uh, anyway, um, again, I, I'm rambling enough here for you, uh, today, but it's just been a beautiful picture, one person being moved by the Holy Spirit to help someone who's in, in a system of oppression for whatever reason, maybe her own choices, maybe the world has done something to her, that yeah. she, uh, just needed to feel the love of Christ, you know? Yeah,
0: that's exactly actually what I was looking for just to hear like, how is that you know, becoming a tangible ministry there? That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story.
1: Well, Cameron, Absolutely. As, as you've been talking, what's really sticking out to me, what you said, you gave the example of the dog trainer told you there's no bad dogs, just bad trainers and how that can apply to people. There's no bad people. People just are dealt bad hands or come from Bad circumstances it is out of their control, like you were talking about the uh, cycle of poverty that's passed down from one family to the next, and how uh you know in the Bible we read least of these, but you know in God's eyes we're all equal and uh, we certainly uh, can do things to help the oppressed around us and like you said, oppressed doesn't necessarily mean that they're being physically oppressed or you know that it's a person that's after them. It's just, it could be circumstances in their life that cause them to be at a disadvantage. What are ways that people can look for people in their own lives, like, some advice you'd have for people of way they could look for just different people that might not be obviously oppressed in their lives, but maybe be disadvantaged and ways like you kind of the example you gave with a lady at your church, who took the own shoes off her feet and gave them to this lady that needed shoes. Yeah.
2: I think especially with, the circumstances of two thousand twenty and COVID nineteen and all that—we, uh, uh, it's very easy for us to get uh, compartmentalized into our own life, mm-hmm. you know. And nowadays, you're not supposed to leave your house unless you have to, right? So uh, it'd be easy for me, uh, my wife, you know, to to do the things that we want to do and that we need to do, and always have our calendar and our days filled up with a million different things that we have to get done. So. In, in non-COVID times, right? Uh, I would have a bunch of church work that I needed to do, and, and my wife would be working all day, and then after she gets off of work, she usually runs to the YMCA and works out for an hour or so, and then comes home, and then I meet her at home, and we make dinner, and we, then we make dinner, then we clean up dinner, and we uh, have had a long day, so we're going to decompress, and pretty soon our whole day is gone, and all we did was our stuff the entire day. And so I, I think a, a huge important thing for us to do, Whether we live in a city or out in a rural village somewhere, is that we need to get out of our little circles, our little cycles, and serve and love others. So uh, I think it can really, honestly, as easy as it sounds, it could start with volunteering at some place that is already doing something. You know, yes, you probably have your neighbor who maybe is going through something that is a system of oppression in their life, but you also have so many opportunities, so many churches. I mean, we're, all three of us are people who, who uh, volunteer and work and do all kinds of things with churches. And the the two of you could probably say the same thing to me is our church is always desperate for more volunteers for things, you know? So get involved at your church, volunteer for something, go to a food bank and help there and volunteer there. But then when you do those things, we need to have the mindset that we are not coming there to help somebody who is lesser than us or the, the less fortunate or whatever. Like I said, these are people, they're creations of God and they want to be treated. You know, we, we all want to be treated like we have value. So a big thing that I always encourage and try to model myself, especially with, uh, with my church people is when we have like, uh, when we have somebody who comes up for our food pantry or our daycare or whatever that might be, Uh, you know, I I just talk to them like I would talk to my brother or my sister or my best friend and just say, hey, how are you doing? Talk with them, get to know them and have an actual conversation with them and not just like a a conversation in which my goal is to meet their physical needs, but one of my goals in a conversation with someone is to get to know them as a human being. Mm -hmm. So, And then when you do that, the door opens for you to see the other things that this person might need And then you can actually help them out of a relationship with them rather than out of a, oh, well, we're this church and we have all these resources, so we're going to do this to help you because it's what the Bible says. Well, that's good, and those aren't bad motivations, but how much of a difference would it make if Cameron or Margaret or Grayson helped this person because they loved that person and that person knew that I loved them, you know? And okay, the church has the resource, but I'm the one who has the relationship with the person. So everything that we do as a church, and everything that I try to encourage our people to do is to connect with individuals. Like our food pantry, our goal is not to be the largest food pantry in Roanoke. Wouldn't that be awesome if we were serving 500 families a week? You know, it would be great. But if I can't connect with those people or if we can't connect with those people and build relationships with them, then we're just a drive through, you know? And I want to stop and get to know somebody and pray with them. And then the next week when they come back, I want to be able to say, Hey, Melissa, uh, you, you know, you shared with us that your dad was sick last week in the hospital. how about go? Well, what's going on? How can I pray for him this week? You know, yeah. but you remember that because you know the person, because you love the person, because you have a relationship with the person, right? Yes, that's so. so true.
0: It is about showing up in people's lives and staying, you know, like sometimes we have to learn how to have boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. but we are called to like, we've been bought with a price. We're not our own, right?
2: Right.
0: And the call is to go and the mission field is not, um, it could be, you know, across the big pond, but it might just be uh, right in town or your village or your town, uh, your community. Uh, There are, I believe that God has placed us strategically in the world that we live in, each one of us. And he has purpose for us where we are. And so what you're speaking to today uh, is just powerful and it's simple, it takes intentionality it takes us, sometimes we may have to lean on the Lord for some courage, right? But that's where God steps in, mm-hmm. and He he can make things happen that we could never make happen on our own. Right. Ministers of Reconciliation. Right.
2: I was thinking as you were uh, sharing that you know my wife and I, the parsonage. We live in the parsonage for our church, which is right across the street from our church. So when when Melissa comes to the food pantry on Wednesday night, and Gary and Randy and HP and all these people uh, that that I see every single week also see them walking by my house when I'm out there getting groceries out of my car, you know? And, uh, when I'm walking my dog, I walk past them on their front porch, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so like, I think it's a, a, a practice of presence mm. in people's lives as well. So you're right, Margo, we need to have boundaries and we can't, we can't, um, we, we need to, t- to be healthy and be able to, to have our, our own refilling, I should say. Uh, but at the same time, and the context of my community like i i'm not here i'm not here living in this community because oh you know it's just where the pastor lives where the parsonage is but it's part of being present in people's lives one thing that blew me away when i worked at shepherd community center in indianapolis is a lot of the uh, more affluent families who volunteered and donated to shepherd and lived out in the suburbs there was this trend where they all started buying houses in the neighborhood right around Shepherd, These were kind of run-down houses, lower-income neighborhoods, not great schools. All the things that people moved to the suburbs for, uh, they ignored and moved into the city for. You know, I think that speaks to practicing presence, you know? Uh, We sang a song that our worship leader uh, led us in a song, uh, and I couldn't tell you the name of it right off the top of my head, but one of the lines that was in the song said, I trade my comfort for the cross. You know, I trade my comfort for the cross, all the earthly kingdoms that I gain, right? I'm trading those things for the kingdom's cause, all I am for the kingdom's cause. Take my life and be lifted higher until the whole world knows that you are God, right? So my agenda, yeah, right? I mean, my agenda as a Christian, I mean, yes, I'm a pastor, but my agenda as a Christian is not to work really hard so I can have a great 10 years of retirement someday or 20 years, whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, my goal is not just to have a nice house in the suburbs, but I mean, love God loves neighbor, you know, and neighbor doesn't mean that person's less than me. Neighbor means literally the person that I walk by on the street, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, sorry about that. You, you get me talking on this kind of stuff and i go for three hours. So be careful. <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> well, uh, Cameron thank you for sharing that just some of the things that stuck out to me as you were talking is certainly we need to be present and build relationships and we don't have to go to another country to do that we can do it right here in our own communities and our own neighborhoods and Those are people that need ministered to the most. As you were talking also, it's important, and Jesus gave us the example in the Bible many times, that we don't want to just meet the physical needs of people. Obviously, that's important, but also the spiritual needs of people, and that's the part of being present and uh, also a powerful message and just building relationships with people in order to meet those physical needs and also the spiritual needs of those people. Well, uh, Cameron, thank you for joining us today on Front Porch Talks. It's been good to have you. Anything in closing that you might want to share that you haven't mentioned already?
2: You've already gotten about two, three sermons worth of material here this <laughs> this uh, afternoon, and uh, I'm thankful to have the privilege to be able to share and, and share kind of God's call in my life, and I think God's call for my church. But I don't think it's exclusive to my church. That's one of the things that I shared at uh, the teaching church, and. I think I was in like January or February yeah, I think of two thousand twenty. So. How naive we were back then. <laughs> it
1: seems oh so. my. I can
2: remember that day. Yeah, it does. I can remember that day thinking, Oh, I'm tired, I have a lot to get done today, uh, but you know, I've been asked to come and do this thing and now I'd give anything to get together with a whole bunch of pastors and just sit around and eat breakfast and talk, you know? So. True story. But, you know, for, for your church or my church, it might be really different what the oppressed looks like, what the person who needs help looks like, what the person who just needs to know that their love looks like. And I think that was my challenge at the teaching church was who are the oppressed or who are the persons in your neighborhood who need love, need encouragement? Who are the people in your city, your village, you know, whatever that looks like? Who, who are those people? And that might look similar to what it looks like for my church. Um, it might look completely different. I think sometimes we get hung up up on church, especially as pastors and leaders on, uh, you know, we need to be doing the next program to get the next thing going so we can attract people to the church and the church to grow and that sort of thing. One thing that God's really been putting on my heart uh, recently is these community watering holes, Mm -hmm. wells. Uh, in in my neighborhood or in the ministry, uh, where are the areas that people are gathering for either community or support or love or maybe just something very practical. For us, we have a, and I shared this at the teaching church, at the time we had a, a Bible study on Wednesday nights that was really primarily made up of people who were just coming to get a hot meal, get food from the food pantry. And it was almost becoming its own little church. And you feel pressure as a pastor to get those people to church on Sunday morning. And don't get me wrong, I'd love to have them there. And ultimately, what I would hope is that people would get more plugged into a community of discipleship and all of that. But that's already a natural community watering hole that people were gathering around to receive something. And for them, it was food, right? Uh, for your church, it might be, uh, I don't know, upward basketball or something like that, right? Or whatever that looks like. Maybe it's the laundromat down the street, you know, as silly as that sounds, people are gathering there to do their laundry. So, uh, how can I, as a pastor, or we as a church, or, or just me as an individual, how can I serve and bless people. Um, Maybe I go down there and I have a bucket of quarters and I say, hey, you know, God gives me to come down here and help people pay for their laundry tonight. Is there anything I can pray for you for? Here's money for your laundry. You know, as silly as that sounds, uh, I think that's kind of what we're called to do is is just be present and share the love of Jesus with people. And and maybe that's in the form of a quarter and maybe that's in the form of a bag of groceries. I don't know.
1: That's a great message, Cameron. uh, Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for joining us today. It's been great to have you.
2: Well, thank you so much. for having me. It's been a blessing. Uh, when you asked if I could come on, I thought, well, I don't know how much I have to say, <laughs> but uh, I always have a lot to say somehow. So uh, there you go. Yeah, so. thank, you. <laughs> uh, thank you both so much.
1: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. We pray as you've listened to Pastor Cameron Dunlap's testimony and him share about ministering in his community that it has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Front Porch Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg-Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.